Leadership File on Premier. Welcome to the show that helps you lead where God has placed you. I'm Andy Peck. It is said that there are 52 statements of do not fear in the Bible, said to various people at various times, which is, of course, uh, one for every week of the year. But the temptation to fail to heed the biblical commands are very strong, especially for the Christian leader, who arguably has more potential temptations to fear. As individuals, we can be fearful, but these reasons are multiplied in a congregation of God's people and in a society where the pressures on Christian faith are ever real. So to talk about this and some of the antidotes, I am joined by a friend of the show, Marcus Honeyset, the founding director of Living Leadership. Marcus's work includes talking about, sorry, talking with Christian leaders on their own and in groups, and he's been exercised about this issue very recently. So welcome back, Marcus. Thanks, Andy. It's always nice to be here. Well, great. You are. You're indeed a friend of the show. We've um, we've had lovely conversations over the years. So, um, I mean, the last time you were celebrating 10 years of Living Leadership, so remind us uh, what Living Leadership does, and um, we'll talk a little bit about those 10 years as well. So Living Leadership is a network that grows, trains, disciples, nurtures, disciple-making leaders for disciple-making churches. Uh, one archdeacon said to me a little while ago, is leadership really just disciple-making? And he's right about that, uh, with one addition. Uh, the disciples we're growing are disciples who make disciples. So in Living Leadership, we want to grow and nurture leaders who know how to do that really practically across the whole warp and weft of church life. Make disciples who make disciples. Wonderful. So was um, uh, the 10-year anniversary a time to make any adjustments at all? Not adjustments so much as refocus, I think. Uh, Knowing the love of God, living in his grace, as the Apostle Paul puts it, working with people for their progress and joy in God. Those have always been very core to what we do, but we've wanted to take uh, another look at everything and just make it sh sure it's shot through everything. If you ever come to a living leadership event or read our material and that isn't the heart of what you come away with, then something's gone wrong and it's been good to refocus. Okay, okay. So, I mean, we're, we're looking at this subject of fear. Um, what made you do some thinking on fear and, and Christian leadership? Well, like I say, we are interested in leaders who are joyful, grace-filled, living in the love of God. So thinking about the things that steal that just seems sensible. So that's been on my mind, on the kind of back burner, but there for a very long time. I suppose if there was one thing that jolted it uh, into making it a priority for me, that really put it on the front burner, was just a meeting with uh, a single minister. He was talking to me about a meeting he had to lead that he was absolutely terrified was going to go wrong. And uh, he was certain of it. And I, I was looking at this from the outside and I thought, there's very little chance that's going to go wrong. And even if it does, it's not going to be very bad. But, but he was really, yeah, he was full of fear and angst about this. And you know, I didn't know everything about his situation. So I thought, well, you know, maybe you're right. Or maybe you know factors here that I don't. In the event, to his total surprise, it went really well and left him wondering, well, why did I get so fearful? What was it that tipped me over the edge? I don't really just understand myself and my emotions mm. in that regard. So that left me thinking long and hard about, about why. Why fear? Why that level of catastrophizing? And then it dawned on me that actually I've met a lot of church leaders 
who have found themselves at one time or another fearing and catastrophizing in the same kind of way. Maybe it's just the kind of people who talk to me, I don't know. But I started to suspect that at some point or another in a lifetime of ministry, many leaders will find that fear is a driver in their lives, often quite unexpectedly. And I started looking around for books on the subject, couldn't find very much, and decided that it was time to do some more serious thinking about okay. that issue. Oh, great, great. Uh, I mean, you you may have faced fears yourself. I don't know. I don't want to ask, uh, ask yes. awkward questions. <laughs> no, you don't, yes, don't necessarily. Yes. But I mean, you know, nothing nothing too personal. If you, you know, um, I suppose a, yeah, a variety that are normal to most ministers. So uh, a common one that I've experienced over the years, you might want to uh, call imposter syndrome. Uh, wondering, you know, when is somebody finally going to stand up and shout, stop that man, uh, he's an imposter, he doesn't know what he's doing, <laughs> when are they going to finally realise I'm a fake and a fraud? I think that's very common to Christian yeah. leadership. And the reason it's common is because imposter syndrome is caused by weakness, it's caused by powerlessness, but weakness and powerlessness are the very centre out of which we're called to lead. So when 2 Corinthians 12, uh, the apostle says, I delight in weakness because when I'm weak, I'm strong. That's when, when God's strength is being manifested. Mm. That's, that's the heart of Christian leadership. But psychologically, it's also the thing that causes yes. imposter syndrome because we are vulnerable, we're undefended. Uh, and I think lots of us actually really struggle to believe 2 Corinthians 12 in Christian leadership. We, we'd rather be in control. We'd rather not feel vulnerable. So imposter syndrome would be one for me. Mm. Uh, maybe another for me is that fear that comes uh, of getting trapped in doing things that are beyond my gifting and ability. You know, people expect church leaders to be omnicompetent, to deliver things that we don't know how to do. Mm. Uh, but they think we should know how to do them. And uh, you perpetually wonder when it's all going to come crashing down or you're going to tip off the edge of a cliff, but you can't stop doing the job. Uh, sometimes I think that I've seen leaders, and I've seen the temptation in me as well, almost get tempted to hasten failure under those circumstances because at least that gets it all over and done with. And then, of course, yeah, all fear is to do with anxiety about... Am I going to be overcome? Uh, is my family going to be overcome to our detriment or to our harm? And there are lots of factors in Christian ministry that tend to make those fears arise. And actually, when they do, there are very, very few safety nets. I'll never forget when I was, um, when I was learning to scuba dive. The thing that got drummed into you all the time is uh, this is a sport in which if things go wrong, they go very wrong. Right. And if they go very wrong, the consequences tend to be very bad. Yes. Yes. Therefore, always follow the plan, never go solo, mm. practice your safety procedures to within an inch of your life, um, always mm. know how to share your oxygen with your buddy, uh, all, all the rest of it. Make sure that you do everything possible to make sure that it couldn't go wrong. In Christian ministry, I think that we set out full of faith, having read great missionary biographies <laughs> and thinking almost if I have any protective mechanisms, then I'm not living by faith, yes. am I? 
but still possibly with the nagging thing in the back of our minds that if this goes wrong, it goes very wrong. And if it goes very wrong, then for me and my family, the consequences might be very bad. Yeah. So at the risk of engaging in the paralysis of analysis, it's good perhaps to discuss the, the range of fears that leaders might be facing, particularly perhaps folk you've you've chatted with. Uh, you know, the, the classic is to look at the world, the flesh and the devil. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if that's a good starting point or not. But, uh... Well, let's start with the devil. <laughs> um, Satan loves fear. Mm. Uh, it's as simple as that because it's the opposite of trust. Yeah. Uh, perfect love drives out fear. Mm. If he can get fear to drive out the love of God, then, then he just is salivating over that. Mm. And the Bible talks a lot, especially in the Psalms, about what to do when you are in fear or anxiety. Uh, often you need to read the stories to know why people got there, read between the lines perhaps to figure out how they walked away from that place of trust mm -hmm. and the peace of the Lord and security and walked into fear instead. You know, how, how did peace with God get obscured in somebody's life? So uh, you read Isaiah 26, for example, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you mm. because he trusts you. So you know, what's the opposite? Get someone to take their mind off the Lord and trust falters, and in that vacuum of trust, anxiety rushes in. Mm. The devil will love to find really practical ways to make that happen for you. We'll come into the New Testament, Philippians 4. Don't be anxious about anything. It's, wow, yeah. how, how does that work? But by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, mm. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So that was written to people in fearful circumstances, mm. yeah, really hard-pressed Christians to tell them in these circumstances, how are you going to live in the peace of God? How is that going to affect you in such a way that you don't fear? Mm. Pray continually. Thanksgiving. So let Thanksgiving and your prayer life slip and the peace of God goes uh, and again fear floods into the vacuum that's created mm. and the devil just uses that to ambush us into fruitlessness and to steal our joy. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested in the main factors that get Christian leaders into fear I think if I can quickly just say four main mm. ones, if you like the walls of the cell yes, yes. That, that, that you get trapped in, they would be isolation, uh, living with complexity would be the mm. second, uh, plus exhaustion, plus discouragement. Isolation, complexity, exhaustion, uh, iced, mm. <laughs> exhaustion, mm. discouragement. That, that, that's the fear cell, I think. But then the thing that locks the doors and stops you trying to get out of the cell is um, guilt. I really shouldn't be feeling this way. Mm. Uh, church culture, I've got to fulfill all these expectations regardless of whether I can, mm. whether they cause me anxiety. And, and I think probably sadness as well, because sadness then drains away your energy for trying to change any of that kind of situation. Sure.
No, thank you. That's that's a enormously helpful. Well, you're listening to the Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Marcus Honeyset, and Marcus is the the founding director of Living Leadership, and we're talking about fear and leadership. And we'll be back just after this. Welcome back to the Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Marcus Honeyset, a, a friend of the show. He's the founding director of Le- Living Leadership and uh, particularly talking about fear and leadership. We were talking before the break a little at, uh, uh, at some of the reasons for uh, fear um, within the leadership world. Um, Marcus, I'm just uh, reflecting on kind of questions to ask you on this theme. And I'm wondering if you sense any particular differences between the independent church leaders and, and the Church of England. And the reason I say that is that often uh, often fear for church leaders um, within independent churches does surround the kind of salary ministry set, set up where it, people can easily get rid of you in a way that perhaps they can't in a, a tenured Church of England uh, kind of situation. I don't know if that's something that you think is a big deal or not. I actually think that's overstated in mm. Baptist and independent churches. I think that that happens comparatively infrequently. Okay. But the stories obviously do the rounds. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things that attends uh, Anglican ministers is complexity. I said right. before, the four walls of the fear yes. cell, isolation, complexity. So, so, so ministers face complexity all the time and far more than... A generation or two ago. So you might be wrestling in one minute with how you prepare your sermon for Sunday, the next minute somebody walks through your door with a marriage crisis, the next minute you're trying to figure out how to fix the church roof, the next <laughs> yes. minute you're dealing with uh, the local council. Yes, mm. all kinds of organisational complexity yes. and pastoral complexity. And yes. uh, I think for Folk in the Church of England, that is probably significantly more complex mm. than in independent churches. Because in independent churches, you're just dealing with things at the level of your church. Mm. You don't have the denominational layer yes. layered on top. Yeah, it's, it's not really for a free church leader, I guess, to say much about the Church of England. But looking on as a, a friend from outside, it does seem that there's a battle on for its soul at the moment. It's no surprise if people from every side of uh, that battle feel bewildered, torn between fight and flight. And Anglican leaders who have all the local challenges plus the big challenges to the historic Christian faith at the national level, I would expect to be um, additionally burdened. Right, okay. But one other thing that I really do notice is that isolation affects free church leaders and Anglican leaders differently. Uh, as a gross generalisation, I think a lot of Anglican leaders find it harder to get help and pastoral support and feel more isolated. And one of the main reasons for that is that the structure that is there to pastor them often doesn't work because it is also the power and authority structure. Um, You know, if if you're a vicar and you're struggling with sin, you often won't seek help from your bishop, which is precisely where you should be able to go in case it gets left on your employment record in perpetuity. It doesn't matter how trustworthy your current bishop is, if you're not convinced that the next one will be, you don't want that uh, that there. So the system, um, you know, we were talking before about what the Apostle says about uh, power and weakness. You're very, very unlikely to find help in the middle of fear if you think that you have to seek it from a power structure. 
And when pastoral structures cross over with employment structures, that's exactly what happens. Sure. And I think the result is that it really doesn't work to help Anglican leaders deal with the fear that comes with isolation. So add together um, expectations you don't feel that you can meet, plus isolation from support and pastoring and safety nets so that you are by far the most exposed and vulnerable person in the church and that's just a recipe for fear. Yeah. Yeah. So having a conversation a little while ago with um, uh, a friend of mine online and uh, she was just crying out for more authenticity, real sense of family, of depth in the local church. And her plea was for leaders to be far more vulnerable and authentic and to lead transparently with insight into their own lives and their family lives uh, from the front. I, I, I really hear that. I, I want that too. Of course, the difficulty is that she is also asking the people who already feel the most exposed and vulnerable to be even more so. So these things disproportionately affect those who feed everybody else. If you want leaders leading in transparent vulnerability, then you've got to have a really grace-oriented church culture. It doesn't matter whether you're C of E or Baptist or whatever. You've got to have a church culture that genuinely looks after its leaders with love and gentleness. Thank you. We, we've been talking fear as a negative, of course, and um, you know the Bible talks positively about fear as well so i don't know if there's some things to be said there mm. yeah so some fears are healthy uh in that they act as um alarm calls if you like they're the canaries in the mine <laughs> uh they tell you that something is is wrong and needs to be corrected uh, and when you sense fear arising uh, it's really important, I think, not to just ignore it or suppress it all in the hope that it goes away, because mm. then you're ignoring something of a gift that's telling you that something does need to, to change. Whether, of course, you can identify and correct whatever it is, is mm. a different question. But, but that niggle is telling you that something needs to happen, and niggles never go away on their own, they only grow. Yes, um, yes, indeed. Yeah. And um, some fears are healthy because they stop you doing wrong stuff. Oh, oh. Um, guess many listeners will have heard the story of the seaside town in Australia that put up a big billboard on the beach saying big picture of a scary shark staying saying stay out of the water there are dangerous sharks and then parents going to the authorities and asking them to take it down because the poster was frightening their children <laughs> um, and I don't know if it's a fictional story but the whole point is yes. to frighten your children yes, indeed. you are meant to be frightened because being frightened is better than being eaten by a shark. Yes, yes. So in Exodus 20, for example, where God terrifies the people of Israel, and Moses says to them, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. It's just such an odd statement. Do not be afraid and fear God. Mm. Fear God and you won't sin. So you don't have to fear judgment. You're a child of grace. Live with true reverent fear of God. That's the beginning of wisdom. And it is the first step to confronting real but inappropriate fear about other things. Because fearing the Lord's the basis of trust. True fear is going to turn you from false fear. Being worshippers strengthens us. 
faith and trust arise, perfect love drives out fear. Yeah, fear is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so as we, uh, you know, just in the closing moments, Marcus, I mean, folk are listening, uh, perhaps, which fears do maybe they need to recognise in themselves and how might they do so? came across this great quote from a man called Osman uh, uh, Asif who said, fear is a dark room where negatives develop. Mm. I really like that. Fear is a dark room where negatives develop. So some of the more obvious presenting fears for church leaders would be, firstly, what other people think of us, fear of man, really, fear of criticism, in which uh, you're the only person in the church who is the target of everybody's hopes and aspirations for the church and their walk with the Lord, but simultaneously the only possible target for everybody's angst and concerns as well. And uh, being the, the focus of both of those, I think, it is a very difficult thing. My wife asked me if, I, if people believe our church is a grumbling church. And I said, no, of course not, it isn't. Nobody thinks it is. I said, why do you say that, darling? And she said, because in a church this size, if everyone grumbles or criticises to the leaders just once a year, you leaders get five a week and nobody else knows about it. Well, yes. And uh, I think that's the thing. Nobody else knows about the things that generate anxiety or stress for Christian leaders. And the larger a church gets, potentially the greater those things tend to weigh. So, yeah, fear of, fear of man. Another chief one, I think, would be fear of failure falling short of what mm. people expect or want, maybe a fear of failing God too. Um, and that kind of fear becomes a big driver into self-harming overwork. Um, maybe if I just mention a third one, that would be fear of leading for change without the necessary resources or support. Mm. Particularly at the moment where you've got the double whammy of society changing very rapidly and in unpredictable ways. Leaders who need to lead into an unknown future people hoping that they know what they're doing, but we don't have a clue, and at the same time having to uphold historic orthodoxy when there's a lot of pressure to cave in on that. Mm. I think you can get caught between that hammer and anvil. Uh, so, Marcus, uh, do you think that leaders who are, you know, lead on their own, at least effectively in terms of, you know, they're, they're the sole pastor or sole vicar or whatever, um, do they tend to face fears differently? Uh, yes, I think they do. Uh, to put the question the other way round, a really well-functioning team is so much more resilient in the face of things that produce fear. It's not the answer to everything, but where there's support, mutual encouragement, love, relational stability, that's a big help. Um, I expect those who lead on their own to find that they are undercapitalized when these things hit them, because most churches simply never think about whether their leader's faith is being nurtured uh, in many cases, they wouldn't know if there are burdens that are crushing them or their spouse because they're meant to be the spiritually competent professional. But isolation is the absolute ministry killer. The person who has to lead from the front, expose themselves, make themselves vulnerable on their own time after time just gets worn out by that. And all kinds of things follow on. Uh, you get uh, fight reactions where you deal with fear by becoming controlling or defensive or adversarial. Uh, and you get flight reactions, uh, maybe you look for another ministry. It's interesting that the average length of time someone stays in a ministry position in the UK is about seven years. Maybe that's all you can handle if you're unsupported and alone. Uh, or you go looking for affection and affirmation in inappropriate ways. Or you just bury your head in the sand and hope it'll all go away. Uh, but it doesn't, you just defer dealing with it until it all builds up to crisis level. My counsellor said something to me that really hit home. 
which is that leaders who want to avoid stopping and examining the things that cause them fear have a perfect excuse. And that excuse is doing more and more ministry. Who doesn't want to give every waking moment to the Lord's service and you get validated for doing so? I just think that's profound because it means that the very thing that leads people into anxiety is the thing we use to try to avoid dealing with it. And that is the main cause of things finally blowing up catastrophically rather than being dealt with more healthily. And that, I think, is far, far more common among leaders who lead on their own. Uh, Marcus, just just closing, you um, you run a pastoral refreshment conference every year. Um, how things are going with that? Uh, fantastically. Um, we uh, set up a new one with our friends in Keswick Ministries last year up in Cumbria. So now we did two in the Midlands, one in the Lake District. They are simply grace oases for leaders and spouses chance to get invested in, to enjoy worshipping for yourself with nobody looking at you, to get prayed for, to be well fed. They're just terrific. It's my highlight of the year. If you're listening to this and you're a church leader, you should come and you should bring your spouse with you. Take a look at www.livingleadership.org. Wonderful. Well, look forward to uh, your company again next uh, Sunday at 3.30. My thanks to Marcus for all he shares. And do, uh, as you say, go onto Premier's website and uh, listen to archive versions of The Leadership File. See you again next Sunday. God bless. You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premier. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk. 